our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your host, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Sonia. Sim. I have a story to tell you. Oh, do tell. I have been sharing a room with you for three weeks now. Correct. And we don't hate each other yet. I know. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. Isn't that impressive? It's so impressive. And I think it's going to be super surprising to anyone that's listening. Like, guys, we share the same bed right now. And we do not hate each other. We do put a pillow between us, though. And I just wanted to ask why. What if I turn around and your face is right there? Do I want to see that? Do you not want to see that? Do I want to just hear your snoring? Hey, I don't snore all the time. Just when you're super tired. Yeah, that's when I snore. I'm actually really surprised that you're not sick of me yet because I'm just coming out of a cold and I have been coughing a little bit and we've been sharing the same room and Sim has been the nicest ever. Coughing a little bit? You have had nights where you weren't able to sleep by how much you were coughing. And this is where the niceness stops, is when we start recording. I see. You woke me up with your coughing one night. And you woke me up with your snoring. So we are even. We are even. Even Stevens. Are we a married couple? We are. But I just, I know we bicker a lot on the podcast and, you know, maybe people are thinking to themselves, wow, do these girls like hate each other? Is this a hate relationship? We don't. No, we get along. And I just want to say it is an experience going to New York with you. It was our like lifetime trip to be in Manhattan, something that we'd been planning since we were like young girls. And what happens? Sonia ends up with so fatigued, so tired. She's in the hotel room every day. I've lost my voice. She's lost her voice. We're communicating via text message in front of each other. Well, I talk, she texts for her reply. And then I go, all right, I'm going to go explore New York now. She really was like, that's great for you, sweetie. I'm out. I felt so bad. I felt like I was cheating on you by like just I'd like see Brooklyn Bridge and I'd be like, I'll have to bring Sonia back the next day. I I would do activities and then I would plan the itinerary for when you were better and you would like turn up and look at them and go, okay, I'm faint now. I need to go back. I know the solution for this because I'm only two hours away from New York now since I'm based in Toronto. You just have to move to Toronto. No. See, when you were saying that, I thought you were going to say to me, you can make it up to me by writing an itinerary of all the places you've been that I should go visit. But you said move countries. 
So this week we're going to be speaking on an amazing book that we've actually touched on in our very first season in 2020, a very long time ago. But I think that not everyone has the time or the patience to sit down and read the book. I mean, how many of you heard us say it and then how many of you actually went and read it? It's an amazing book. It's changed my life with money. Like it actually has changed my life, which is funny because it is called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robbins and was probably one of the most pioneering books when it came to the FIRE movement, but also pioneering in the way that we viewed our jobs and viewed our money and what sort of relationship we have with both those things. A little bit of background, this is an old book. It has been around for quite some time. So some people might go, oh, you know, how relevant is this? You know, the fire movement has grown since then, but the concepts are lifelong and they have truly, like not to be dramatic, changed my life. So without further ado, to save you the time that you don't have, we just thought we would summarize the main points of the book, which were also points that we really loved. So you don't have to read it and you can walk away and begin to change your relationship with your money instantly and probably save you a couple of bucks as well. So the first key takeaway and one of my favorite takeaways from the book is that your job doesn't need to be your life. And to really hit home with this, I'm a huge fan of quotes. I'm going to read out a quote from the book and it really just spoke to me. It's one of those quotes that I highlighted and wrote a note about when I first, yeah, when I first read the book, went deep into my annotations with this book. And the quote is as follows. Money is something that you trade your life energy for. You sell your time for money. It doesn't matter that Ned over there sells his time for $100 and you sell yours for $20 an hour. Ned's money is irrelevant to you. The only real asset that you have is your time, the hours of your life. Essentially, the authors are putting out a different perspective on employment. Back then, employment, well, actually still now, employment is really seen as your entire livelihood, like the job that you hold, the money that you earn. It is just everything in terms of social status and how you're seen as a productive member of society. I think we can all agree from the COVID lockdowns and the way that countries, especially Western countries, dealt with COVID in general, you really saw that shift from the hustle culture and like your job is your life with the commute and everything. And it really transitioned to wellness and work-life balance and how we can find fulfillment in our lives that isn't our jobs. And hey, wait wait a minute, my life and my value from living isn't tied to my corporate job or my job in general, that shift was really apparent. And I think we're still going through it. Back when they put this out, no one was thinking like this. It was revolutionary. I guess the tip that the authors give in the book in terms of how you can actually start to distance your worth from your job is that you can start aligning yourself with the why behind your job rather than a paycheck or prestige in terms of the job title that you hold. Because if you're attached to the why behind your job and you believe in the purpose and you understand the impact that you're making in the organization that you have, you spend less time, effort, energy, and constantly worrying about the future or your next career step or how you look like to others because you are just trading 
your expertise and time for employment. And I guess there's just less of that existential crisis that people go through at work every day. Like I remember like sitting down at my desk and always being like, what's the next step, Sonia? Like, is this really what you're going to be doing day in, day out? But if you're attaching yourself to the why and the purpose, you question less of that. And that's the perspective that they were wanting to bring forward in the book, which really just stood out to me. I think even for like our community where we are right now and like our generation, we have such an impactful importance that we place on our jobs like my job needs to be impactful but then I think we get a little bit too into it it's like my job is my reflection of me and it's not like who are you when you meet people it's like what do you do for work and that just those little things make you feel like the job that I have reflects who I am as a human it reminds me of how we had a book launch event in New York and one of the amazing like GTI community members was telling me like what she did and she goes I'm really embarrassed to tell you this and I was like well tell us what like what are you embarrassed by and she said I'm homemaker for another family so I clean people's homes and it's just what I'm doing in between jobs because I'm starting to be a data scientist and all my friends like make me kind of feel bad for it do you know what I mean that makes me really sad yeah it was I mean I'm like getting goosebumps right now talking about it but it's like how can you be embarrassed for the work that you do like that is still honest work that is still impactful work if that's what's important to you but at the end of the day it's also just work it's just a job and work doesn't have to define us and it's so sad that we're at a place in our lives where someone has to give like a disclaimer of like I'm embarrassed to tell you that this is a reflection of me. I think especially if your friends are making you feel bad I would reevaluate who you surround yourself with. Sorry this is not a sticky money Monday where I'm like dump them. Only every episode was. <laughs> the second main point from the book was the idea that the job that you have actually has its own costs. So hear me out. Like if I walked up to you and I said, quit your job, your first thing to me would be like, Sim, that's ridiculous. I need to pay for all of these things that are important to me. I need to pay for my home. I need to pay for my car. I need to pay for my food, da, da, da. Agreed. There are your wants and needs that you need to pay for. But if you took away the job, the book describes how there's a lot of costs that we have associated with the job that would go away as well. So if you say that your expenses for the year, let's say are $30,000 a year, if you took the job away, your expenses when you account for the traveling that you do for work, the clothes that you buy for work, the food that you have when you you know go out to dinners because of work or the time that you spend at work, which means that you end up buying lunch instead of making lunch, the extra equipment that you might need, the briefcase, the holidays that you take because you work so hard and you need to decompress, the massages that you take because you're stressed from work. Like I could keep going. The idea is if you take all those things out that only you buy because you have a nine to five, then maybe your expenses for the year aren't $30,000. There may be $20,000 or $18,000 and suddenly you can do other things that let you quit your job or lower your hours and also lower your expenses and that blew my mind because I'd never realized but you know even when I was an optometrist you buy clit clothes which are like you know slightly more expensive you buy equipment for your the job which is in the thousands of dollars there's all these things that people don't really consider even the commute to work that you have 
adds up. The time that you spend with your colleagues that you have to, you know, sometimes fork out yourself when you do birthdays and trips and, you know, secret Santa, it all adds up. And that just blew my mind. Because you don't think of it, eh? You don't think of, oh my gosh, I'm spending money to just show up to my job. Right? What's something that like when you think about it, you've been spending on for, you know, when you had your nine to five? I definitely think clothes and accessories and just looking good to show up to my nine to five. I think I started uh, doing less of that when I did my low buy year and work from home, thank goodness. But even with work from home, you come up with these things that you need, like a good chair, a good mouse or like a good like mouse rest I need a coaster for my drink or all these different things that add up just so you can do your job effectively and if you take the job away yes you will not have that pay but you'll also not have those expenses and I think that's just a a side I never thought of I still remember I was reading this while I was at work it was very naughty but I still remember the exact room I was sitting in reading that and going like whoa that For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone. And the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. That is mind-blowing. I think the commute thing makes sense. Like, oh my gosh, I'm spending $100 a week to commute to my job to make a nine-to-five, which is why people nowadays can really negotiate some benefits and work from home or hybrid. The third point, I think this is one of the most important takeaways of the book, and that is find your point of enough. That in itself is a revolutionary sentence for me. You need to find a point of enough for you, whether that is a number or whether that is a certain amount of assets that you have in your life, because we talk about this a lot, actually, especially on our Instagram page. You just recently put a post out about lifestyle creep and lifestyle inflation and the constant comparison that you have with other people. The reason that a lot of people want to grow their wealth is to to look a certain type of way to other people. It's really going into that, keeping up with the Joneses mentality. Like if you have a goal of, okay, I'm going to be satisfied when I earn a hundred thousand dollars a year. I have a million dollar house in a particular neighborhood. I have a $50,000 car. And then next year, all your neighbors have, I guess, 
uplifted or upgraded their their house, their cars, their assets, then you feel like you need to do the same thing. And the book and the the message that the authors really try push is finding your point of enough where you can really sit down and evaluate what will make you happy in retirement? What will make you happy when you've left the workforce? And is that a number? Is that how many things that you own? Is that how many passive income streams that you have set up? Because once you've identified that for yourself and what kind of lifestyle that you want to lead, again, to echo what I said to finish up with my first point, you spend less time, effort and energy into constantly mulling over, am I enough? Am I living paycheck to paycheck? Am I living purposefully? Because you're tying your worth into other areas of your life that isn't just money. And in a capitalist society, that is really hard to do. And again, the time of them writing this was just absolutely mind-blowing for so many people. Guys, forgive me. She's just a quote scal. I was really that Tumblr girl that wrote down quotes in a book and like on my wall. But I do just want to insert a quote that they've put in the book because it, again, was something that I highlighted. And that is, if you live for having it all, what you have is never enough. In an environment of more is better, enough is like the horizon, always receding. Pause was everything. Honestly, I like put the book down. Yeah, it is so crazy because one of the stories in the book that really resonated with me was from a seminar that had happened. And from memory, they had rows of people that were separated by income. So like sit at the front if you make 50 grand, sit behind if you make 100 grand, sit behind them if you make 150 grand, sit behind them if you make 200 grand, right? And the question that came up was stand up if you'd like to make 50 grand more this year. And everyone stood up and you look behind you and the people that have 50 grand more than you still want 50 grand more. And it was a really good example of you can never have enough if you don't put a number on it. And that's something I've been struggling with. You know, the whole, such a debacle, but like the story of me buying that expensive Van Cleef bracelet, it was a huge amount of money. And then we went to North America and so we were in Beverly Hills for a bit and the amount of people I saw with like stacks of those bracelets or like the necklace version which is you know like $15,000 for a necklace and I was like wow like I'm actually starting to feel like what I have is not enough and I had to like snap myself out of it that's because I didn't have a definition of this is good enough for me and I see it it's such a can I say this it's such like a brown person thing like to compare what your neighbor has like you have a nice wedding my kid's gonna have an elephant at their wedding like you have the newest Audi I'm gonna get the 2023 model as soon as it comes out definitely the South Asian culture is just very much about what other people think of you and what you do to impress other people even if you don't know them so I think that's fair to say. It's just so stressful. Like you could have the nicest house in the nicest neighborhood, but then your neighbor renovates and you're like, damn, should I renovate too? And renovations are expensive. It's like 20 grand if you really want to update it. It's just, it just never ends. Do you know something that floored me? This is so random, but... Sim was talking about how much it can potentially cost to get fence around her house, like fencing. And the amount that you threw out there, I did not know that that is how expensive it was. $7,000? For wood? I mean, it's labor as well. And also wood is expensive. Like timber, 
if you have timber, like good for you. You know what I mean? I actually thought it was cheap. I was like, I was expecting 10 grand because it's not the whole fence that they're doing. Like half of it's done. It's just the front because people keep going into my backyard to take fruit and I'm not the front house. So I'm just like, that's scary. The fourth and final point from the book that I found really helpful that, you know, honestly, if you just learn this one thing, it's going to make such a difference in your life, is treating every purchase or every bit of money as energy. So rather than looking at money as money, look at money as life energy. So life energy is the word that's been used. The idea behind it was that when you spend money, it is so much easier when you don't track the money that you spend. If you don't have a benchmark of like, not, I don't want to like say budgets because I'm not a fan of budgets, but like just allocations of money that you have. If you don't have that, then you do spend money a little bit more freely. And once we realize that we're trading our life energy for goods, that's a different experience than saying we're trading money for goods. So life energy versus money is this idea that when I go out and buy something, I'm spending not a hundred dollars. I'm spending two hours of my time if I was on like $50 an hour. And that can be a slippery slope because some I've definitely gone a little bit too far with this. When I was reading this book, it was around the time that I was saving up for a home. So I was at the place where I was trying to save like 70% of my income. I was living so frugally. It was really aggressive. I do want to say that take this with a grain of salt and maybe also check yourself if you're going too far. Like I did go a little bit further than I needed to, but I really love the idea of time energy or life energy. And you're not just spending money as money. It's like you did something to earn that money, to get that money in that bank account. You maybe missed someone's birthday. You maybe put your job first instead of your mental health that day. So whenever you spend things, try to make them intentional spending and I would much rather, you know, spend a lot of money on like one good coat than a few crappy coats, but then also taking into account that that's a lot of my time that I'm putting into this one coat. So I better bloody wear it. I think this point is really interesting because it's such a slap in the face to consumerism. I think that... Sometimes when we talk about value-based spending, people don't really know where to start, but the, oh my gosh, I'm trading one hour of my life for this $50 like top or pants or whatever you want to buy, that will definitely stop you in your tracks and just evaluate whether you need to purchase this or not. It just helps with the splurging part of me because, you know, people can be like they're savers or they're spenders and I'm definitely a saver, but I think it's a spectrum. You know, like like most things in life, it's a spectrum and sometimes you have months or weeks or days where you just become more spendy and that's where I find it to be helpful to remind myself that this is my life energy that I'm putting into these purchases, which means I take more care into the purchases that I do and I make sure they're good purchases that last a long time. Honestly, it is such a great book and I have found it to be so helpful in so many different areas of my life. I would say this for me is like top three money books ever. The first takeaway is that your job does not need to be your life. And honestly, that could be an entire podcast episode in itself. The second is that the jobs that you have do end up having their own costs. So leaving a job also means leaving behind some of the expenses that are associated 
The third is find your point of enough. Find that number. One actionable step for this episode is write down what enough is in terms of the salary, in terms of the net worth, in terms of the price of the house that you own. What is enough? Because if you never write that number down, you will be to the mercy of the Joneses for the rest of your life. And I cannot think of anything worse. And of course, treat every purchase as trading your life energy with reason. Don't take it too far like I have in the past, but it just makes you be a little bit more conscious of where you spend your money. Now, I feel like that's probably a good place to wrap it up. But if you want to keep learning about the things that we talk about, follow us on Instagram. We always post a lot of fun, free, great content there. Join our Facebook group. Join our newsletter. We spend every single week just talking about what's going on in the market. We call it stock market tea because it's always juicy. It's always spicy. We love to add a little twist to it. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer. Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team. Bye.